Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. to be with you this morning and to share from God's Word. I'll be reading Psalm 51, and then I'll explain this psalm after reading it. Psalm 51, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to the to you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Friends, that's Psalm 51. And even as you have heard from the heading, the context with we, uh, in which David, King David wrote this psalm. And this morning as I speak from this psalm, I want to talk about a heart that enjoys God. And this is in continuation to uh, the, the series that you had in January of choosing faith over fear. Psalm 51 teaches that we can choose faith over fear when we live by God's when we live by faith in God's forgiving grace rather than the fear of the consequences of sin. And such faith 
leads us to a life that enjoys God. Did you know that God wants us to enjoy our relationship with him? He does. He takes delight when we are also delighted in our relationship with him. But David, writing this psalm, was actually not in such a place. He wasn't enjoying that relationship with God. But this psalm is that point where we can call his great comeback. A comeback point where he's now going to be restored and start enjoying that relationship with him. And you'll notice that he calls upon God twice to give him joy. Because he knows that he wants that. He longs for that. A relationship that, in, that he enjoys with God. A clergyman named David Mansfield published a book called Everyone Loves a Good Comeback. And he introduces Christianity in the book, in, interestingly, recounting some great comebacks in history. Among the comebacks that he gives are two verbal ones by Sir Winston Churchill. It's alleged that one time, uh, Lady Nancy Oster ins insulted Winston Churchill by saying, if I were your wife, I would poison your coffee. And Churchill immediately responded, Madam, if I were your, if I were your husband, I would drink it. And there's another comeback that, uh, that this man, David Mansfield, uh, he's actually a pastor in Sydney, I know him. He, he wrote another one. He said this. Another non-admirer of Churchill once came to him and in a very insulting way said to Churchill, Mr. Churchill, I could write all you know on the back of a, back of a postage stamp. And Churchill gave a quick comeback and said, and I could write all we both know on the same stamp. Now, such comebacks are great fun because, first of all, they are humor in, uh, to us, uh, and they, they also make us kind of start thinking, okay, next time someone comes to me with, with an insult, what should I come back with? But at this point in David's life, his comeback is one that gives him back the hope that he had lost in God. It's the hope that knows that God has grace that has no limits because his mercy is everlasting and his mercy covers all sins. Now, that's the comeback that David gets to. So David is known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. But David abused his kingly powers in frightening ways when he failed to guard his heart. He fell into the sin of coveting his neighbor's wife. Then he fell into the sin of adultery. And to cover up his sin of adultery, he committed the sin of murder. There we go. Almost the second half of the Ten Commandments destroyed just like that because of David's sin. And in Psalm 51, after he has sinned, he comes back and confesses, asking God for forgiveness, for a fresh start. And not forgetting that his consequ the consequences of his sins are still there. He remembers that because Nathan had declared that to him. And so he knew what the prophet had declared was going to happen. And the first immediate one is that he lost his baby with Bathsheba. And so King David 
goes back to this comeback where he wants his relationship with God restored so that he can enjoy that relationship with God. The big question is, what kind of a heart is he going to have in order for him to get that joy restored, to get that relationship of joy restored? Or in other words, how would that joy that God had given him be restored now that it has been broken? And that's what I want us to look at. First, we look at verse 17. In verse 17, which is towards the end, uh, David declares that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken heart, and a contrite heart. You will not despise all God. Now, the word contrite there is a word that probably not many people use today. It's a word that means repentance as well. It means your inner spirit is crushed with a sense of guilt and an awareness of your spiritual bankruptcy. And you want that changed. It also means that you have a very genuine and a deep sorrow over your rebellion against God. And you want things to be made right. Now, such a heart recognizes the personal accountability that we have for our own sin. And David describes his rebellion very clearly in verses 2 and 3. He says this rebellion belongs to him. He says, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. He says it's his sin. He has no time to rationalize it that it's someone else who caused him to sin. There's no time for him to try and find excuses for his sin. He's saying, it is my sin. It belongs to me. I'm responsible for it. He didn't blame God for putting Bathsheba next to him. He didn't blame anyone, but he took responsibility for his failings. And so he says it's his sin. So he acknowledges that God does not like that sin. And so he says in verse 4, Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He knows he has sinned against God. But worse still is that this sin that David has committed is not just one sin. It's a multiplicity of sins. And much, much more, he has actually committed murder. And we know that in the Old Testament, anyone like David who had killed someone else would not have their sins of murder cleansed, but they would be stoned to death. And so there's no way out for him. He's supposed to be stoned to death. And so his guilt is there before him because of the penalty that he knows he should bear. It's not, it's not easy to deal with our guilt after sinning. But you see, David in verse 16 declares, he declares this, that you do not delight in sacrifice, or I'll bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. I'll bring that. If it was offerings, there was plenty to offer. And that would have been an easy way out for him. He would have just said, yes, I've killed someone. There's plenty of other cattle that I have that I could offer as great sacrifices for that. 
but he reckons that there is more than that that God needs. And so in verse 16, he acknowledges that God is not, God is not hungry for a sacrifice. God is hungry that he would come back to him with a contrite heart. A repentant heart that declares that I have sinned against you alone and only you, God, can forgive me. In 2015, Billy Graham's grandson, known as Tulian Chivijan, who is a, was a pastor in Florida, confessed of being in an adulterous relationship, and he quit his ministry as a Presbyterian pastor. Now, he faced a long road to restoration, back to fellowship, and he struggled with his guilt. And in 2017, he wrote in his, on his website, I'll quote, he says this, Perhaps you too have failed miserably, and people that you dearly love have been deeply damaged. Maybe you committed adultery like me. Maybe you're an addict to alcohol, porn, drugs, shopping, food, etc. Maybe your kids have gone off the deep end, and you blame yourself for leaving their father years ago and breaking up your home. The hope of the Christian is not that we will, in this life, get past our guilt, shame, and regret. Rather, it is that God promises to be with us when we struggle with our sin, shame, and regret. Now, he became aware of his sin, and he could say that two years later. When we become aware of our sin and we are contrite, we are repentant, we need to know that God isn't interested in empty apologies and cheap promises like, I'll not do that again, or I'll prom I promise that I'll serve you fervently next time. No way. Those are the empty sacrifices that David is talking about in verse 16. God cares nothing about those efforts that we would try to do to balance evil with good so that we do more good to outdo the evil. He only desires a broken heart, determined to seek for him, determined to desire him alone more than any other pleasure, short-lived pleasure that sin promises us. That's what we need to be doing right now, friends. Thinking about our lives. And as we approach Easter, it should be a time for us, really, in fact, uh, it's a few days ago that if you follow the calendar of other, uh, of other Christians, the, we call that time Lent in, the, in Christendom, the 40 days before Easter, where we spent time repenting and we spent time fasting and asking God to forgive us. As we focus on the cross, where that sin was dealt with. Now is the time for us to have a contrite heart, a repentant one, that looks to the cross and says, back to where we were, brought to our comeback with Christ, we go back there. And once we get there, 
we start enjoying God once again because God gives us the assurance that our sin has been dealt with. Now, that's, that's what, where we look at when we go to, the, to our next point, that a heart that enjoys God is a heart that is confessing sin before God. Now, there's a slide that you'll see before you. Notice the pattern in this slide from verse 1 to verse 9. There's a pattern there that you should notice. David prays to God, wipe away my sin. And he emphasizes that he needs that. That's what he needs now. So in verse 2, he says, wash me. In verse 2a, he says, wash me. In verse 2b, he says, purify me. Look at all those words. And towards the end, you'll notice how I've marked them again. He says, when you purify me, I will be, I'll be pure. And then he goes back again to pray, wash me. Wipe away my sin. That's what he wants. That's his call for God. He's confessing from his heart. This is what I've failed you. This is how I've failed you, God. But you are faithful. Notice how in the middle, he, he puts God right in the middle. You are faithful. Only you can deal with all these issues that I'm facing right now. These are serious sin problems I'm facing. But only a faithful God can deal with this. He confesses who God is. And so in verse 7, when we go back to verse 7, David prays, cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that when he confesses to God, God is faithful to forgive. And so he has this promise. He knows this. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Now David is confessing he's not clean, and so he wants to be clean. He knows that his sin is right before him. And Nathan, the prophet, made it even much more clearer for him when Nathan appeared to him with a parable. And David thought the parable was true for someone else. And he says, surely in my kingdom, such a person should never exist. That person deserves justice. You cannot take one person's, you cannot take one person's only sheep when you have plenty in your flock. But David was talking about himself. The justice that he wanted someone else to face was justice that belonged to him. And so David hopes that God is the only one who can bring him cleansing because he realizes only God is just. And so he turns to God. And so from verse 7, we see that he has an expression of deep faith in what God alone can do. Now, the most surprising thing is when we think about what David is saying here, that cleanse me with hyssop, if we go back to the Old Testament, you will be surprised that he actually makes such a claim. In Leviticus chapter 4, chapter 14, verse 4 to verse 6, this kind of cleansing that David is talking about was a ceremonial cleansing for a person who had already been cleansed. It's not for a person who's looking for it to be cleansed. And so when, when a person was suffering from leprosy, there had to be a ceremony that would make them be considered cleansed, and then they can be restored to normal life. They can carry on with their activities. If it was family, they are no longer quarantined. And the place of quarantine was not like in our, in our comfortable homes, 
The place for quarantine for someone who had leprosy was on the boundaries of the city. Outside the city gates or the city walls. Only once you're, once you're cleansed that you come in and the priest declares that you're cleansed. And then this ceremony of cleansing that with the sprinkling of hyssop is done on you. And then you're declared you're clean. Carry on enjoying life as it should be. And so David is asking God for cleansing as if he has already received it. Now, he knows very well that he's corrupt inwardly. He knows very well that, that even his sin has caused harm to somebody. But it has also caused harm to him. In fact, it's, it's even caused physical harm to him, probably physical harm. Look at what he says in verse 8, second part of verse 8. He says that, that the bonds you have crushed rejoice. Somehow thinking about just the physical anguish he has faced, not just the mental and spiritual anguish, he has even faced physical anguish from his sin. Only God can deal with that, he says. And he believes God has already dealt with it. That's faith that focuses on who God is rather than, faith, rather than the fear that focuses on the consequences of his own sin. So David is sure that God has brought impurity in his heart. And he, did, he believed that God would cleanse him so that he would completely cleansed from this contaminated hurt. Now, in one of the episodes of an old BBC comedy called Some Mothers Do Have Him, do you remember that? Um, some of you might be very young, you do not know what I'm talking about, but if you go to YouTube, you will find some, some episodes of this. In Some Mothers Do Have Him, Frank Spencer, which is uh, a character played by Michael Crawford, loses his job as a fireman. And he's convinced that he's a miserable failure. And so he goes home to his wife, Betty, who is always very considerate and always very comforting when Frank uh, has messed up. And Betty suggests to Frank, Frank, go and see a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist will help you. And Frank decides, I'll listen to my wife. I need help because I'm a failure. I need someone to convince me I'm not a failure. So Frank goes to the psychiatrist, and he tries his best to explain to the psychiatrist all of his problems. And so Frank continues to narrate incident after incident so that the psychiatrist might understand him as a failure. But the psychiatrist ends up being convinced that Frank is truly a failure because all of these stories that Frank narrates cannot relate with a person who's not a failure. So Frank is indeed a failure. Frank leaves the psychiatrist's office smiling and saying, I am a failure. And as he walks out of the psychiatrist's office, the next client is left wondering why he should go and see the same psychiatrist who has declared to someone that they are a failure. Now, as you look at a scene like that, you wonder what could fix a failure like Frank. Well, in the comedy, you can't fix Frank. But in reality, every failure that belongs to us 
can be fixed by God. So that he says to you, after he has fixed you, you no longer have the tag of a failure. You can walk rejoicing that you have a new tag with a new identity that says, I belong to Christ who took my failure. A Christian writer by the name of David Paul, Paul David Tripp says that the knowledge of sin is not a dark and nasty thing, but a vast and wonderful blessing. If you're aware of your sin, you only know it because you have been visited by amazing grace. Don't resist that awareness. Silence your inner lawyer and all the self-defending arguments for your righteousness. And go back to the amazing grace that God has given to us. And declare there, I'm a failure. And you will find Christ saying back to you, I took that failure. It belongs to me. Now that you have confessed it, I give you a new identity. Now, David confesses his sin. David is a contrite, has a contrite heart. But what else does David need in order for him to get back to the joy of this relationship that he has had with God? This joy that he wants in verse 8 and in verse 12. <clears throat> well, let's go back to the beginning again. At the beginning of his prayer, David is confident that God is merciful and God has his unfailing love that will cover his sin. So David has faith in the foundation that is found in God and that God has laid for the restoration of everyone who comes to him for their relationship to be restored. They will find mercy in Christ alone. And it's only after such an assurance of forgiveness of his sins that David prays in verse 10 to verse 12 this prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, O God, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, David knows very well that it's because of his faith in the merciful God that all this can be restored. And so God alone can intervene in what he's crying for, a renewal of his heart. Now, when we think about it, on the other side of the cross, after David's sin, on the other side of the cross, where we belong today, on that side of the cross... We have this great promise that Paul writes for us about what God did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul explains this better by saying that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus the substitute for our sins. So that we who deserved to die would live because of his death. And we know that God raised Christ to life because God was satisfied with the payment that Christ had made for our own sin. 
So God's work of grace is renewing our nature just the way he intended it to be. Because that's the way he exercises his love for us. And in the end, we end up loving him after seeing what he has done. We end up trusting him. We end up having joy in what he has done. We end up having our hope firmly fixed in what God alone can do. And then finally, our obedience towards him. We usually take, get it wrong. We want the obedience to come first. But it's first this cleansing that makes us love God, makes us trust him, makes us have our joy in him, makes us have our hope firmly in him, then we can obey him joyfully and lovingly. Now, you may ask, why does God not protect us from sin anyway? He's powerful. He could protect us completely from sin, even now if he wanted to. Well, David gives us an answer to that question in verse 14. I know that that's a question that bothers many people. If God is sovereign, in fact, many people take it back to the book of Genesis, where they ask, if God, is for, for, uh, if God is sovereign and powerful, why did he not stop Eve from sinning? It's the same question that is answered here in dif different ways. In verse 14, David says, Save me from my blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So in verse 14, here David is expressing his inadequacy, and he clings to God more closely. And God keeps reminding us that we are mentally and morally weak and we dare not trust in ourselves as much as we think that we have the will and the power to live a righteous life. We do not. And so when we are reminded of our weakness, we are reminded that once in a while we will fail. And when we fail, God uses even our failure when he has restored us to teach others. This is exactly what now David says. It's in verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Here is a person who has received a personal restoration, and after he's received his personal restoration, he actually says, it's not for me. It's for others. It's not a restoration for me only. Yes, I have been restored. Yes, I have joy in God now that I've been restored, but it's also for other people. How is it for others? It's so that they may learn that they as sinners can turn back to God. That's exactly what David is praying here. That his sins and his restoration might be a lesson for many. That if you fall to sin, you can be restored. If your joy has been taken away, the joy of your relationship with God has been taken away, it can be restored. Friends, before we go to the communion, I'd like us to get into a time of a prayer of confession. And so I would like you to pray with me this prayer of confession before we get into it. I, I do not know whether uh, there was anything like that, but I just feel compelled, having gone through David's failure and how God gives him a great comeback. This is our time for our great comeback. Let's pray. Almighty God, 
We need your mercy. We sin every day. We have not loved you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. All of our motives, even at their best, are mixed. We grumble. We are anxious about the future. We get angry too quickly. We desire what not to be desired. We even desire for others what we ought not to desire for them. We get irritated at very attitudes in others that we display in our own lives. Lord, if you do not show us mercy, we are undone. And so, Father, thank you for the mercy you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. Help us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is Christ's love for us. Amen.